You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Freeman, Matt at the Oracle of the Action Network in Rotoviz. Welcome to the May 11th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt. I am doing great. Uh, had a little vacation last weekend. It was my wife's birthday, so um, you know, still got all the content done other than the pod, but uh, we are back and ready to go for some Saturday night racing in Kansas. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I like the Saturday night races. I think it's, uh, it's I th- good, especially for you, because then it frees up your Sunday. That's right. That means I can actually, you know, hang out with my wife on Sunday instead of just sit in front of the TV and in the computer. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, uh, yes, we have a race this weekend. First, though, we should talk about the race last weekend at Dover. Kevin Harvick dominated. He led over 50% of the laps, and he won all three stages on his way to the fourth victory of the year. This weekend, NASCAR heads to Kansas Speedway for 400 miles. Uh, Again, Saturday night is that race. Uh, so we have a compressed weekend schedule. Nick, talk about the NASCAR schedule along with your content for this weekend. Yeah, so uh, as we record this, we're recording this right after qualifying on Friday evening. Um, everything has already happened other than the race itself. So as far as the NASCAR schedule goes, there was supposed to be two practices today for the Cup Series. Uh, that got merged into one practice because of some uh, a little bit of weather and then weeper issues. So weepers are... Uh, when the track forms some, some cracks in the surface and water under the surface comes up through the cracks onto the track, uh, that is, those are what are called weepers. And NASCAR is having some issues with weepers this morning. And uh, so they ended up compressing the schedule even further than it's already compressed for a Saturday night race, made one cup practice uh, and then qualifying. So we've had all the practice already. We've had qualifying, and all we're left to do is race as far as the cup schedule. Uh, as far as the road of his schedule, you and I are recording this right after qualifying. And then as soon as we're done recording this, I'm going to write my article uh, and then uh, update the apps. The apps are pretty close to being fully updated as we're recording this anyway because we have all the data in. I've ran the model. I uh, just need to actually get in and update the apps uh, since we're recording now. So probably by the time you're listening to this, the article will be either out or close to out. Uh, the apps will be updated or close to updated, you know, and then uh, everything will be ready tonight. Uh, I'm going to do the Action Network betting article probably tonight, depending on when lines are out and uh, when I can view lines. If not, it'll be early tomorrow morning. And then I'm going to record Rotoviz Live at 8 a.m. Pacific time. So make sure to get your questions in using hashtag RVLive um, between now and 8 a.m. Pacific time. I'm going to record it locally and then upload it to rotaviz.com slash live for Rotaviz Live this weekend. So, uh, yeah, pretty compressed schedule, but it's going to be a lot of fun. I have a, a question about the practice. So, uh, as you mentioned, practice one, practice two, compressed into only one practice. Um, because of that, I, I mean, I don't know if any of the, the drivers were in qualifying trim or anything like that, but how predictive do you think we can expect that one practice to be? Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely the, the main question here. Uh, obviously, one practice, drivers definitely made runs in qualifying trim. So it's going to be tough to, uh, you know, to have um, for a single practice session, 
a single lap times to be reliable. The 10 lap time obviously would be a little more reliable. And then uh, a handful of drivers, just more than a handful of drivers, but uh, several drivers made 15 lap averages. They were tweeted out or shown on TV, so you can find those easily on Twitter. Um, but the 10 and 15 lap averages will be pretty reliable. Historically in the past, Kansas has been a track where those numbers are very reliable in terms of predicting finishing position as well. But throw out single lap speed completely because we had many drivers make qualifying runs in the one practice session. Uh, and so, you know, those numbers are going to be completely unreliable for the race. So don't focus on them this weekend at all. When I ran my top 30 models, it only showed up in about the bottom 15 of the models, but none of the top 15 models did single lap speed show up. Uh, one place it did show up in single lap speed was for fastest laps, so maybe that's a little less reliable this weekend, but you're not really relying on fastest laps to make or break your DFS lineups anyway. Um, so I left it in the model this weekend just because uh, it was easier than, than taking it out. So. But we usually don't really rely on fastest laps a ton anyway, and they do correlate highly with laps led, and the laps led doesn't include that data. So uh, by and large, it's not really going to affect the model. Uh, so, you know, the top drivers are still going to probably turn the most fastest laps anyway. So um, I think the single practice session doesn't really change a whole lot this week, and you still want to focus on long run speed there. Interesting. Okay, so Nick talked about the content schedule for this weekend. A reminder that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content, and your subscription supports the pod. Okay, let's talk about Kansas. It is a one-and-a-half-mile tri-oval with variable banking in the corners. It was repaved in 2012, so the surface that we have now is six years old. Can you talk about the racing we normally see at Kansas? Yeah, and uh, I'm all too familiar with the repave. My uh, wife and I, we got engaged, and then the very next day we flew out to Kansas Motor Speedway. I was was actually part of the biotech company I worked for. We used to sponsor uh, a car in NASCAR, and so I got to go to the race for free. My wife flew out with me, and uh, the very next day was the race. And then after the race, they demolished the surface and resurface it. So six years old shouldn't be too old, but... We did have the weepers, and that usually happens with an older surface. So uh, I think it's interesting that Kansas has already aged. I think a lot of it is the harsh winters they get there, uh, makes the track freeze, and then it warms up and expands again. So you end up developing cracks in the surface, even though it's only a six-year-old track. That makes it a little more abrasive. So I do think we'll see some tire wear come into play at Kansas. It might act like a little bit older of a surface than normal. So I've actually tweaked down a little bit the uh, the um, age of the surface as a variable in the NASCAR sim scores. That's one of the variables because you want, you know, old tracks with high tire wear. Uh, those are going to be they're at least going to race a little bit similar to each other versus new tracks with low tire wear. Well, Kansas, it's a new track, relatively speaking, compared to some other tracks, but it might drive a little more like an old track. So I've tweaked down the age of the surface. But other than that, it races like your typical mile-and-a-half you know, tri-oval, your standard NASCAR mile-and-a-half oval. Uh, it's it's going to be uh, a lot of follow the leader, I think. You're going to see the top cars dominating. Um, you're going to see you know, passing can happen, but it's usually because there's a, a significant difference in speed of the cars. Uh, and you know, obviously, the car is significantly faster than another. It's not going to get held up for too long because of the variable banking, because of the wide surface. So it's just your typical mile and a half. We've seen many of them this year already. Um, Las Vegas is the most comparable track to Kansas. So in this weekend's model, 
Uh, I've not only taken the Kansas data from the past couple of years, but I took this year's Las Vegas race as well. Uh, when we talk about some of the data we're going to look at a little bit later, you'll see Las Vegas compares very favorably this year's Las Vegas with historical Kansas data. So uh, Las Vegas is also a 1.5 mile tri oval with variable banking. Um, so I think it made very much sense to include in this year's in this Kansas model. So uh, make sure to go watch this year's Las Vegas race. It was pretty boring. Uh, a lot of follow the leader. <laughs> and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of the same at Kansas this weekend. Okay, so one of the big storylines for the weekend is Matt Kenseth, Matt Kenseth returning to NASCAR. Uh, he's replacing Trevor Bain in the number six car uh, for this weekend and also for some select races for the remainder of the season. Given that Kenseth has no data for this season and he's on a new team, how are you approaching him? Yeah, so obviously last year he was with Joe Gibbs Racing, the one of the, if not the top team in NASCAR last year. Uh, and this year he is, uh, like you said, racing for Roush Fenway Racing, filling in for Trevor Bain for, for some races this year, kind of to give the team some feedback because uh, they want to know if you put in a different driver for Bain, things get better, things get worse, things get the same. And he's just so experienced. He'll give a lot of good feedback to the team. So... Uh, Matt Kenseth, definitely just a, a, the consummate professional veteran, but he's on a team that struggled this year. Um, Stenhouse has definitely had his ups at times, but Bain has really struggled. And of course, like you said, we have no data on Matt Kenseth this year. So what I did, uh, we know that NASCAR is very much car heavy. Um, it depends. Some people say it's two thirds car. Some people say it's three quarters car, 80% car, 90% car. I just went ahead and made an executive decision to say, 75% of it is going to be the average of Trevor Bain and Ricky Stenhouse this year. So 75% of the team, um, which is which is Stenhouse and Bain, 25% Kenseth based off of his history from prior years. So uh, doing that kind of regresses Kenseth to the, the mean of the team of Rash Fenway racing, racing. And the fact that he is a driver who's won for Joe Gibbs Racing, he's got a championship, he has very good stats in the past, he's probably better than Trevor Bain, probably better than the Roush average, I would think. Uh, that will be built into that 25% there. So I've regressed 25% Kenseth history, 75% average Roush history, and that's how I'm kind of approaching Matt Kenseth this weekend. I think it's a really interesting approach, and I'm kind of hoping it'll work out this weekend. It might be something I you know, do going forward next year when uh, – uh, you know, if we have drivers on new teams or rookies coming and things like that. So, so it's a, something I'm experimenting with and we'll see how it works out. Okay. So sticking with Kenseth, uh, one thing that's interesting is that in the head to head betting props early in the week, Kenseth, uh, Kenseth uh, is stacked up against Almarola. Almarola opened as a negative 130 favorite uh, that quickly got bet to negative 160. And then after practice, after qualifying, the line will probably move even further to Almirola. Uh, given how you are approaching Kenseth, uh, at what point does the line move far enough toward Almirola to make Kenseth a value? Yeah, uh, this is this is super interesting because when that opens, uh, all of the sharps jumped on at minus one thirty. It moved quickly from minus one thirty to one sixty, like you said, uh, and then. Um, Obviously, we had opening practice. Kenseth was dead last in 10-lap average in, a, in the only practice session we had. Almirola was right at the top of the leaderboards. You look at qualifying, Kenseth all the way in the back. He didn't make a qualifying lap because he didn't get through inspection. Almirola qualified right near the front. 
Uh, and those are both stats that go into the model this week, and we'll talk about that, of course, going forward. But uh, that is huge. I mean, that is a big discrepancy. So you absolutely expect Almirola to the line to move on him further and further and further towards Almirola. But we do have to remember there is a DNF rate at Kansas. Uh, we'll talk about that. But uh, there's there's certainly a percentage of the time that Almirola might have an engine problem or a tire problem or get involved in a crash or a late race penalty or something like that, right? So there will be times that incidents happen. And uh, just the natural variance of when incidents don't happen, um, you know, that, that Kenseth can finish ahead of Almirola just because of late race variableness, maybe a late race caution, tire strategy comes into play, something like that. And when looking at the SIN scores, so we're using the road of his SIN scores here this weekend. I've already got them updated uh, for, for qualifying, um, but or sorry, for post-qualifying. So all the data, the SIN scores are already good to go, actually. We look at Kenseth's ceiling without DNFs, so, right? So you already got a DNF percentage for, for Almirola uh, and for Kenseth, approximately the same. And then if you remove all the DNFs, you, you account for that percentage. And then look at just Kenseth versus Almirola. Kenseth's ceiling is 16. Almirola's floor with DNFs removed is 20. And so these are 15% outcomes. So maybe there's a little bit more than a 15% chance that happens, maybe 20%. DNF rate around 20%. So you're looking at uh, um, maybe like, let's say a third of the time, um, let's say Kenseth uh, approximately finishes ahead of Almirola. So if the line moves to Kenseth higher than plus 200, I think he becomes a value. But up until that point, I really don't think Kenseth's a value. So with Kenseth plus 200, Almirola is going to have to go beyond minus 200, right? Minus 225, minus 230, right. 250, somewhere in that neighborhood for Kenseth to be beyond plus 200. But I think that's kind of just using distributions and uh, uh, the DNF rate, I think, uh, or the incident rate, I should say. I think it's around plus 200. If Kenseth gets there or beyond, he ends up becoming the value versus Almirola. Okay. So we just talked about a prop bet. Uh, obviously, uh, this is something that we're taking more of an interest in. And if you are subscribing to the Road of His NASCAR package, you have access to a lot of great tools and data for each race that you can leverage in placing some action on prop bets, uh, for instance, like the ones they have at mybookie.ag. So they have a variety of future bets and head-to-head props for each race. Uh, I bet the props every week, uh, you know, normally on Sunday morning, but, you know, tomorrow it's going to be on Saturday. It's like one of the favorite parts of my weekend, coming through the props, using the road of his tools to, uh, to make some bets. So uh, the MyBookie NASCAR future props, they are fun. And again, a great way to leverage your Rotoviz subscription and to supplement your NASCAR DFS action. So if you join now, MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus with the promo code NASCAR. So that is MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, and you get paid. Okay, Nick, uh, because I am an idiot and don't read ahead on the outline, I jumped the gun on the practice question. So... Is there anything else that you didn't talk about in terms of how we should be evaluating the practice data given the weeper issues that you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, with only one session, just so much, it's the only thing we have to go by. So, um, I mean, it's really, it's really, that's all there is. You want to go by long run practice speed for your practice evaluation, throw out the short run speed. Um, you know, there aren't any major caveats from practice. 
The only other thing I would say, of course, is to go back and review practice notes. Uh, there's, um, you know, Twitter obviously is a great source for practice. What did teams tweet out? What did drivers tweet out? Uh, if you have the option to go back and watch the replay of practice, that makes a lot of sense to do that. That's something I recommend doing every weekend, of course. And uh, they end up always showing the 15 and, and sometimes 20 lap averages. This weekend, no 15 lap average. I will say one thing. If you look at the 15 lap average, you won't see Kevin Harvick up there. That's because he ran 14 laps as his longest run. So uh, had he had it been a 14 lap average, he would have been right at the top of the leaderboard there. So uh, make sure you don't discount Kevin Harvick just because you don't see him at the top of the 15 lap average. There's some other drivers, Daniel Suarez, Eric Jones didn't quite get to 15 laps as well. They probably would have been in or near the top 10. Uh, so it does seem if you look at the 15 lap average, it seems very Ford heavy. Um, but don't get overly sucked into you know a Ford smash weekend I do think Fords are going to be very good this weekend they've dominated mile and a half this year in general but there's some Toyotas that have performed very well you know like I said Eric Jones Daniel Suarez Denny Hamlin's right up there Kyle Busch and then uh, of course Kyle Larson was right up there in the top 15 and 20 lap average as well so uh it's not all Fords this weekend, but but certainly I think Ford is uh, the strong team, the strongest manufacturer, I should say, not team, but manufacturer this weekend. So, you know, let's say some races have three sessions of practice. And uh, even if you normally would disregard the first session of, pra of practice, it seems as if, you know, having three is better than having two, better than having one. Uh, given that we have only one practice session, do you think there's merit to fading uh, what we saw out of practice this week? You know, maybe there's the possibility that because it's just a sample of one, uh, you know, it might be a little more fragile. People might be putting more weight on practice uh, than what we, you know, might deserve. Matt, I have to stand up and give you applause here for this question because that was off script and that was beautiful. But uh, yes, I think absolutely. Um, when so so here's the thing a lot of times when we have 10 lap data that's great we use that we use mostly the 10 lap data from final practice but remember there's plenty of times we've talked about this year where in the absence of 10 lap data we use the combined single lap average so the the, the average from you know the single lap from practice one practice two and practice three like you said that builds the sample size and you can take the fastest laps from each of those and at least see how consistent the car was at fast single laps or something like that uh, well, we don't have that this weekend. We just have a single fastest lap speed. So there was only 22 cars that posted a 10-lap average, which means there's 16 cars that did not post a 10-lap average. We don't have anything to use for them. So in that case, uh, I've used their combined average, but it's not going to be very accurate for them. accurate for them. So I do think it's important to not put too much weight in the 10 or 15-lap averages this weekend. It's what we have to go by. It's all we have to go by. That's just the circumstances we have to deal with. Uh, but, yeah, I think there is some merit to fading practice times, especially among the drivers that actually posted 10 or 15 lap speeds. You know, Paul Menard had the 10th best 15 lap average. But how many cars ran 15 laps? We don't A, we don't know because NASCAR doesn't give that data. B, we know it's less than 22. C, that means if it's less than 22, you know, maybe it was 18 or 16 or something like that. He's actually towards the back half of cars that posted 15-lap averages. Maybe it's a good thing he posted 15-lap average because he's comfortable with his car enough to have run 15 laps. But still, he was probably towards the back portion of the 15-lappers. So 
you know, it's tough to tough to say that we can put too much confidence in 15 lap times, maybe a little more confidence in 10 lap times, but even then, only 22 of the 38 cars posted 10 lap averages. So uh, it might be a good weekend to go a little further away from the model, a little further away from practice times than normal. Absolutely. Okay. What other data is going into your model this weekend? So uh, Kansas is a very simple mile-and-a-half track, variable banking, like you said, uh, the age of the surface, six years. If we if we reduce that uh, factor a little bit, it becomes even more like Las Vegas, which is a 12-year-old surface. So it's very similar to Las Vegas in terms of what goes on a model. This weekend for Kansas, we talked about you know the 10-lap average or the, the air quote combined single lap, which is just a single lap this weekend. So practice time. Starting position is very important at Kansas. Um, we'll talk about that in terms of the context of dominators. Basically, drivers don't dominate uh, Kansas unless they start inside the top 10. Uh, and even if you want to expand it to like kind of a, a half dominator, I'll call it, you know, only leading 5% of the laps, that hasn't happened for a driver starting outside of the top 17 at Kansas uh, in, the, in, in the time period I'm looking at, which is since 2014 to present. Um, that's basically the Gen 6 period other than eliminating 2013 because they started removing downforce from that car after 2013. So uh, from 2014 to present, Kansas plus this year's Las Vegas, no driver starting outside of the top 17 has led more than 5% of laps. So starting position, a very important, not just in, in finishing position, but also in laps led. Uh, like I said, practice times, year-to-date finishing position. So that you could probably replace that with driver rating. But I do think finishing position is a little important just because – Gives you an idea of which of the back markers aren't finishing races as well, uh, and maybe which of some of the the drivers this year haven't been finishing races very well. So it's a it's usually we rely more on driver rating, but I think that's getting absorbed into some of the other things as well. And then track type, quality, pass percentage. Uh, if starting position is very important, then you also want quality pass percentage to be important because that lets you overcome starting position. So drivers are very good at passing on large ovals, the one-and-a-half-mile, two-mile ovals, uh, get a little extra benefit even if they're starting a little bit further back. So that's why track type quality pass percentage comes into play. So sum that up, practice, uh, mostly 10-lap average. If you don't have that, well, who knows what to do. Starting position, year-to-date finishing position, and uh, track type quality pass percentage over, like, the last eight large oval races. Okay. So uh, given these circumstances with practice and qualifying, how accurate is the model for Kansas? Yeah, well, historically on, on you know, the, the data I'm using it on, if you withhold some of it, it's about 60% accurate. So R squared of 0. 0.06, or sorry, 0. 0.6033. Um, so just over 0. 0.6. Uh, if you, you know, consider that this Kansas race will be like similar Kansas races and Las Vegas races in the past. Obviously, we don't have practice data as much, so we probably expect it to be less predictable than 0.6, uh, maybe 0 0.5, 0 0.55, somewhere in that neighborhood would be my guess uh, if we had to reduce that. You, we still have plenty of drivers that made 10-lap averages. You can still infer a lot from uh, the data outside of, of just practice. So I, I do think the model will be around 0 0.5, 0 0.55 accurate on withheld data. Uh, and again, this is for drivers that actually finish the race. The model I always build is for drivers that finish the race. We can't really predict which drivers will DNF. We can just kind of uh, assess the overall DNF probability. And then obviously some drivers probably have a little bit higher chance of DNF, so a little bit lower chance of DNF. So again, we're looking at of the drivers that finished, the model is around 0.6 accurate, but I expect it to be a little less accurate this weekend among drivers that finish maybe between 0.5 and 
So you've mentioned a couple of times uh, the DNF rate and also just a kind of larger metric, the incident rate at Kansas. What does that normally look like? Yeah, so you're right. We should talk about incident rate because DNF and incident rate are a little bit different. DNF rate is actually which drivers just didn't finish the race. Incident rate means you finish behind somebody who didn't finish the race. So like your driver crashes out and only completes 200 of the 267 laps, but you only completed 190 laps. Obviously, you had some kind of incident that made you not finish the race. Um, the other way I use incident race is if you finish, if the driver in front of you finished uh, – like for, for Kansas, there's 267 laps. So what's 1% of 267 is 2.67. We'll round that up to three. If uh, if you finish more than three laps down on the driver ahead of you, then I also consider that an incident. Uh, you really should be within 99% of the car in front of you. Um, so the incident rate at Kansas, plus if you include this year's Vegas, is 17.7%. So not super high. It's not as, as low as Richmond, right? Richmond was around 11%, 10%. Uh, Kansas up at 17.7%. But, you know, you get tracks like Dover, 22.5% last weekend. Um, Kansas is kind of just right around your typical mile and a half average. So 17.5% uh, approximately. If you look at Vegas this year, it followed that trend. Vegas was just over 18% this year, 7 I think it was seven of the 37 drivers uh, ended up having what we call an incident. So basically the same percentage as the overall Kansas average. So I, I wouldn't expect too much different. Obviously, anything can happen in a single race. You could have a 25% incident rate or you can have a 10% incident rate. But in the long run, if we ran this race a thousand times, right, you'd expect around a 17.5% incident rate. Okay, it seems most weekends... Uh, there are a number of drivers who, for some reason, don't make qualifying runs. Uh, the same thing this weekend. So some big names starting in the back of the field. Clint Boyer, Casey Kane, Kenseth. In total, six drivers who did not turn in a qualifying lap. How does that impact uh, your approach for Saturday night's slate? Yeah, I'm, I think, obviously, it makes cash game lineups uh, set themselves a lot easier and We've seen this several times, and especially last year, when there is a, a big, a, several big names that qualify in the back um, because they didn't qualify, right? Then the cash lineup very often cashes in GPPs. So I think this is a cool weekend to run a cash game train in GPPs, especially because there aren't too many drivers that qualified in the back, right? We get like eight big names or, or five big names. Really, we only have like three big names, Boyer, Kane, maybe Kenseth. You're not really counting McDowell or Di Benedetto as big names, even though they didn't qualify. But when you have like, uh, you know, several big names, it becomes actually a little bit harder because, you know, if, you, if there's seven drivers who uh, are qualifying way in the back, do you choose Logano or Johnson or, or you know, or, or Harvick or whoever? Uh, this weekend, it sets itself a little bit more. So I think cash game lineups this weekend should be I wouldn't say obvious, but very close to obvious this weekend. Uh, probably only a small handful of cash game lineups that are pretty viable. So in that case, you know, drive, people like to pick these other drivers. You're going to have 5-10% ownership on many, many other drivers that are going to be suboptimal. Cash game trains are very good to go with on these types of weekends So in GPPs. So um, I'm not saying you have to do it. It's just something you can think about doing. Obviously, if your cash game train doesn't finish in the top 20-25%, it won't cash in the GPP and you'll be out all of those. So that means you do want to play some cash games this weekend as well, because there are people who still don't know the obvious cash game lineups. Uh, what I would say is 
Um, maybe maybe have a little bit higher mix of cash games this weekend uh, if you're going to take the approach where you throw your cash game lineup into GPPs. Other than that, uh, what I do think is it's very good this weekend to stay close to your cash game lineup and maybe change a couple pieces here and there for your GPPs if you want to go that route. But it's a pretty predictable track, maybe less predictable than normal because of the lack of practice. But because of what happened in qualifying this weekend, I do think uh, there is a core of drivers that, that becomes pretty important. So you want to stick to that core, then throw in some mixture this weekend in GPPs. Okay, let's talk about some picks. Uh, who are the drivers you think are likely to dominate the 267 laps we have at Kansas? Yeah, well, you know, the big gun right here, Kevin Harvick, uh, he qualified first, and obviously he's been the man to beat this year. Four wins, won at Dover last weekend, um, you know, won three races in a row after the Daytona 500. So uh, Kevin Harvick, certainly the number one option for Dominator. I would expect him to dominate a ton. If you look at the large ovals this year, he's led 40% of the laps. I see no reason for him not to lead another 40% or so outside of a, you know, a major issue. Um, one of the large ovals that's included in that is Auto Club Speedway, where he was coming to the front, got in a crash with Kyle Larson, but he probably had the best car that weekend as well. So it really should be even higher than 40%. Um, obviously, he doesn't have to come through the field and pass Kyle Larson this weekend. So uh, I think Kevin Harvick... Very much the main dominator this weekend. Uh, if we, if, like I said, if we remove DNFs in general, Kevin Harvick's uh, domination percent just uh, through the roof. So um, definitely like Kevin Harvick. Uh, outside of Harvick, uh, you got Kyle Busch who starts in third. I think he's the second most likely dominator. If you look at the sim scores, basically has the same ceiling as Harvick. Uh, so definitely would put him second. The question is, who's the third most likely dominator? You could throw in Ryan Blaney. You could throw in Martin Truex Jr. Um, you know, Eric Almirola starts fourth, but I don't think it's him. I think it's probably Blaney. Uh, if you use the road of his sim scores, Ryan Blaney does have the third highest ceiling among all drivers. So for me, number three will be Ryan Blaney. He starts second. Um, you know, Martin Truex Jr., always a good name at these mile and a half, but he starts seventh. He'll have a little bit more to, to drive through the field. So uh, I do think in general for me it's going to be – Martin Truex Jr. Uh, sorry, Ryan Blaney over Martin Truex Jr. third uh, to fourth. So you mentioned Truex there, and last year he was just dominant at the mile and a half ovals. Uh, I mean, there probably would have been some regression this year anyway. Uh, but I mean, what are your thoughts on what we have seen out of Truex this year? Yeah, it's interesting because he's led 16% of the laps at large ovals this year. Um, you know, he's got an average finish of 11.8, an average running position of 11.0. So he hasn't been as dominant as last year. You know, you look back at 2017 last year for Martin Truex Jr., just at the large ovals. Uh, average running position of 4.6, average finish 3.0, 34% of the laps led. Uh, this year, nowhere near those numbers. And I think it's just the fact that the Fords have been the dominant manufacturer this year. I don't think it has anything to do with Truex himself. He's obviously, him and Kyle Busch have been neck and neck in terms of the top Toyota. But Ford has really been the team to beat this year. You look at the large ovals uh, in terms of dominance, Kevin Harvick, then it's Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. neck and neck for dominance. And then after that, Kurt Busch and a Ford. So uh, 
you know, I think it, it's it's definitely been a Ford kind of year. It's interesting to see even, you know, Kurt Busch has led more laps at large ovals this year than Joey Logano or Brad Keselowski. So it's really what we could say is Stuart Haas in, in some ways, but but mostly just Kevin Harvick. Uh, but Kyle Busch and Truex neck and neck. But if you look at all the other stats, uh, Kyle Busch has Truex on average finish, 11.8 to 3.2 for Kyle Busch. Uh, average running position, 4.5 for Kyle Busch, 11 for Truex. Uh, has them barely in lap le- laps led, barely in fastest laps, uh, and uh, yeah, if we remove the if we remove DNFs from the equation, it kind of changes a little bit. Truex and Kyle Busch essentially neck and neck. So the big difference there is the DNF for Truex. If we remove the DNF, Truex actually has a slight edge on Kyle Busch. So I think that could be a hidden edge in the long run. Um, average finishing position for Truex 3.3 to Kyle Busch 3.2. So essentially a wash there. Average running position, five for Truex, four and a half for Kyle Busch. But you look at dominance, Truex, 22% of the laps led Kyle Busch, 18%. Truex, 15.5% fastest laps, Kyle Busch, 12.3. So, I mean, they're essentially a wash. Uh, if Kyle Busch has a maybe, – maybe you're looking at these two for a head-to-head in terms of betting. Um, certainly, Kyle Busch should be favored given the 10-lap averages this weekend. Uh, but uh, I don't think it should be necessarily as wide as we think. But – uh, you know, Kyle Busch and Truex neck and neck, but Truex hasn't had as much of an advantage over Kyle as last year. These two are essentially neck and neck this year at the at the large ovals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating. The guy who won both Kansas, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Truex won both Kansas races last year, right? Uh, I believe that's the case. Actually, I need to check up on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. But either way, he was you know a major factor right. in both Kansas races. So yeah, um, yeah absolutely. But uh, you know, Kansas is interesting because it, it, track history, while it's important, um, you know, obviously gets superseded by track type history and also how are you doing this year? Right. And uh, that that definitely becomes important at Kansas as well. But you're right. Truex finished uh, in first in both Kansas races last year. Um, was certainly the dominant car, but but uh, we don't want to get too specific. Like even track right. history didn't show up in the model this weekend, right? So mm-hmm. um, don't just wait Kansas last year. You want to wait all of the large ovals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So the other picks that uh, you would like for cash games, who are those guys? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it it's pretty obvious with the way qualifying happened this week. And you got Clint Boyer, who's just been a, a major player this year in general, uh, starting way back there in 32nd or 33rd. Uh, you definitely want to play him in your cash game lineups. I think uh, kind of a no-brainer. Uh, but then there's there's an interesting situation here with Kyle Larson. Um, Kyle Larson, you know, in in first qualifying and, and also in, in opening practice – was very fast. He was a top three driver in, uh, you know, the 10 lap, 15 lap, 20 lap speeds. Uh, but a top three driver in opening qualifying session, but in the second round of qualifying, he spun out. So he starts 22nd. Uh, then, you know, do you play him or do you try to pick a second dominator? That's the question. You know, do you play both Harvick and Kyle Busch trying to make sure you get laps led? Uh, do you play Kyle Larson or do you just stick with drivers coming from the back in my opinion, I'm playing Kyle Larson. He's starting 22nd. Uh, I think the difference between Kyle Larson versus Kyle Busch is where we want to go in cash games this weekend. I think Harvick just dominates so much this weekend. You know, he could be an 80% lap lead type guy. Um, probably has just as good, if not better, a car than Kyle Busch. Has the track position advantage. Has the large oval advantage this year. 
that I think it's just Harvick for me in terms of dominators this weekend in cash. And I'm going Kyle Larson instead of Kyle Busch uh, as my cash game pick. And, and and there's a big salary discrepancy as well, right? So uh, if you look at, at salary between the two drivers, you got Kyle Busch at 11-2. Then you've got uh, Kyle Larson at 10-6. So that $600 could make a difference. Maybe it, it gets you uh, a different driver in cash games. Um, I know obviously with a lot of, of big names in the back this weekend, maybe that helps you get somebody like a Clint Boyer into your cash game lineup. Okay, let's look at the GPP picks. Who do you like? Yeah, I think uh, I think GPPs will be where kind of the make or break happens this weekend. Uh, I think there's a couple super obvious names. So, um, you know, one of them I think will be Eric Jones. He starts 12th, but uh, showed a ton of speed in practice, has a very good history at Kansas Speedway. Um, so I think Eric Jones, a great GPP play, only $8,100, very nice salary relief. But if you want to get even more salary relief, go to his teammate, Daniel Suarez there, $6,800, um, practice inside, you know, the top 10, um, very, very, very good, uh, driver so far this year at the mile and a half tracks. Um, so I like, I like Daniel Suarez. I like Eric Jones. I think these are two great pivots drivers starting further forward, uh, massive amounts of salary relief. And, uh, I like these drivers this weekend. If you want another kind of, um, I guess maybe more expensive pivot play, I do think Ryan Blaney is interesting in terms of the, you know, kind of a contrarian dominator. Uh, there has been times in the past, you think about Texas last year, where Ryan Blaney started second uh, and ended up dominating, leading the opening laps. So uh, if you look at Ryan Blaney's history just at Las Vegas and then at Kansas, he does have the fourth best driver rating. And that included last year, you know, when he was with the Wood Brothers, which, of course, is is an affiliate to Penske. But even then, now he's officially with the Penske team. Uh, so Ryan Blaney uh, in terms of Kansas and Las Vegas combined, uh, very good driver here. And so uh, I think Ryan Blaney, kind of a sneaky name to, to get some dominator points this weekend. Okay, finally, given the DNF rate, are there any Joe Dirt drivers uh, you think are in play? And if so, who is that? Yeah, well, uh, I think in the in the 5K range, obviously, Michael McDowell and Matt Benedetto, who did not qualify, uh, start 36th and 37th, respectively, 5,400, 5,200, respectively. Uh, both of those drivers, very, very, very much in play, in playing cash, in playing GPPs. And I think that's really all you need to use in the sub-5,500 range. Uh, if you go into, like, the $4,000 range, you're not using Timmy Hill, even though he's starting dead last, 4,600. The dude doesn't finish races or, or anything like that. Uh, there's not a super high attrition rate this weekend. Uh, then you've got, you know, in the other the other under 5K drivers, or Ross Chastain starts 28th. He's too far forward among the 4K drivers. Greg Golding, 29th. Reed Sorensen, 30th. You're definitely not using him. Maybe you can use Landon Castle in 31st. So, uh, you know, it's it's – because there isn't a super high DNF rate, you don't have to drop down that far. And there's two obvious names with with De Benedetto and McDowell. I think you could throw in some Landon Castle just because of the you know there is a chance either De Benedetto or, or McDowell doesn't finish or doesn't move far enough forward. Um, and there's not as many like super expensive drivers you have to play this weekend. You know I think Harvick obviously Kyle Busch in play for sure Larson, but outside of those, I mean are you, maybe you play maybe you sprinkle in some Truex maybe maybe I don't know. But uh, so it's not like you're jamming in a ton of super expensive drivers this weekend. So I don't think you have to drop down to the sub 5,000 range 
um, especially with the, the lower DNF rate. I wouldn't say super low, but uh, you know, 17.5% incident rate in the long run. You're really sticking McDowell, DiBenedetto, maybe some Landon Castle sprinkled in there. All right, Nick, any final thoughts for this race? I mean, I should say, I think this is the first time I've heard you say weepers on the podcast. So, like, that's a, you know, that's something very important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the term weepers ever, so maybe you learned something today, too. <laughs> okay. Uh, I did learn something today. Uh, more than just weepers, but weepers is, that's what I'm going to take away from this. This This is the show in which weepers was introduced into my NASCAR vocabulary. Yeah, I will say one other thing. Um, if you if you want to get kind of kind of crazy, kind of contrarian, I guess um, I do think Joey Logano is an interesting play. Uh, he's you know, got top seven finishes at every single mile and a half this year, and he's kind of looking like the Joey Logano of two years ago or the first ten races of last year. Maybe not quite at that level, but uh, I could certainly see some things happening here. So I do want to throw Joey Logano in as a kind of an interesting GPP play this weekend as well. Okay, Logano, love it. That is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily fantasy sports podcast powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS.